All right, be honest. Do you do it? Hey, it's okay. I do it. Actually, a lot of people do it. And they do it probably without thinking about it. Hey, I don't know what you're thinking about, but what I'm talking about is sending the placenta for histological examination at time of birth. The truth is, we send the placenta for a lot of reasons, right? Oh, she had meconium in labor. Please send the placenta. Oh, wait a minute. She had intramniotic infection. We have to send the placenta. Or, oh, we definitely need to send the placenta here because the patient had a twin gestation, right? I mean, we send the placenta for a variety of conditions, but is that really evidence-based or is it tradition? You'll be surprised to find the answer. Well, in this session, we're going to cover a soon-to-be-released clinical brief from obstetrics and gynecology from the college. This is coming out in April 2022, and it's under Questioning Clinical Practice, Pathological Assessment of the Placenta. One of the authors is right here from Texas out of Baylor College of Medicine, and it's a fantastic review of why we do what we do. Ready? So let's cover the pathological assessment of the placenta. Is it really evidence-based? Is that science or tradition? Let's get to that now. One of the best ways to prevent burnout is to really love what you do, to have a passion for what you do, and to consider every day truly a gift. This is Clinical Pearls. Well, you know, medicine as a discipline as a whole, regardless of what field you're in, I mean, for all the push that's evidence-based and science-driven, sometimes it's kind of weird, right? I mean, people in healthcare are kind of weird. I mean, I think we have to be kind of weird to look at vomit and go, somebody vomited, (laughs) or a gunshot wound and put our finger into the wound to stop bleeding. That's not normal stuff. Sometimes medicine is kind of weird. And from that comes the fact that sometimes what we do is kind of weird or just based out of tradition and really not science. Well, this is the whole issue of the placenta. Now, talking about things out of tradition, we just recently did a podcast about leaving the patient on magnesium sulfate for 24 hours postpartum, right, when she has preeclampsia. Now, that's true when it's with severe features or she's sick. That's totally right. But there really isn't any evidence that 24 hours is the magic time frame to leave a patient on mag postpartum. But you can go back to that podcast for that discussion. But it kind of fits into this whole issue of the placenta as well, because why we send the placenta off for histological examination, like it's somehow going to clear up the sky of fogginess and go, oh, well, thank goodness I send that because this makes crystal clear sense now. Those kind of pearls of wisdom from the placental histological evaluation just don't come too often, right? I mean, think about it. How many times have you sent the placenta and you get it back? You're like, well, that was not helpful. Or, well, I already knew that. And when do you really get it back and go, aha, that's the answer? Probably not very frequently. So I think it's interesting, and I'm thankful that these authors put this questioning clinical practice bulletin out. Well, not bulletin, but really more of a commentary or a science review coming out in April 2022. Because why do we do this thing to begin with? Well, really, this changed or became embedded in obstetric practice back in the 1990s, and it really was driven by the College of American Pathologists, or the CAP. Oh, those crazy pathologists. This made its way into the ACOG committee opinion and even to a practice bulletin. 
Now, currently, ACOG provides no specific guidelines for pathological examination of the placenta, except for one real condition, and that's stillbirth. During the case of stillbirth, the examination of the placenta is definitely recommended by ACOG, SMFM, and the CAP because that's the one clinical scenario where perhaps an answer may be found to explain the fetal loss. Possibly another condition that's also referenced in this April 2022 monograph or clinical brief is in cases of unexplained perinatal depression at time of delivery with no other cause. In that case, maybe the placenta may be helpful, but in general, routine evaluation of the placenta probably is just not that helpful. Back in the 1990s, there was an ACOG committee opinion that's no longer affirmed, and it's actually no longer around because it's been since the 1990s. But what it stated at that time really is pretty indicative of the push from the CAP, again, the College of American Pathologists at that time. That old committee opinion states, quote, An examination of the umbilical cord, membranes, and placenta may assist the obstetric care provider in clinical pathological correlations when there's an adverse perinatal outcome. Well, does it really, though? Because most of the data actually show that some of the placental findings on histology may not even correlate with what you see clinically. Actually, if you take a look at the data from the decades that have followed from the 90s, those assertions that they can actually provide helpful clinical pathological correlation have actually largely been disproven. But as I said, physicians or healthcare providers, we're just kind of quirky, right? We're kind of weird. Because there was a survey that actually asked physicians out of Australia and New Zealand when they thought that placental examination was actually helpful. Well... Although neonatologists from Australia and New Zealand reported with 100% certainty that placental examination provided useful information regarding neonatal outcomes, but there was no consensus among them as to which specific placental lesions held specific implications either for that child at time of birth or for any future pregnancy. They also couldn't agree on whose responsibility it was to actually follow up those abnormal findings. In other words, it sounds like a great idea in theory, right? But the delivery of that great idea actually doesn't seem to come through. In other words, I'm all for getting as much information as possible, and that includes the placenta. But in general, how many times is it actually pretty useful? The truth is, again, not very much. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute. We, we've got to send the placenta because some of those findings may be predictive about long-term adverse neurological outcome for the child, right? I mean, this is we're going to get this to try to defend what we did or try to defend a child's adverse event should one occur because surely some placental findings have predictive value regarding adverse neonatal outcome. Well, actually, that's not true at all. Nelson and Blair have published and have highlighted that most studies associating placental features with adverse neurological or future psychiatric outcomes have substantial methodological limitations and are limited by the fact that adverse outcomes are not immediately evident after birth, are rare, and they have many subtypes. 
actually one of the largest population level analysis in the U.S. that attempted to relate specific placental lesions to long-term adverse neurological outcomes is from the 1950s and the 1960s. This was called the Collaborative Perinatal Project, and believe it or not, even though it's from decades ago, is still actually quoted by some leading experts as the justification, notice I said justification, yeah, I don't know what's going on, (laughs) as the reason why placentas are sent. But the truth is that that project, even back then, was kind of terrible, and it's even worse now. Children at that time were classified as neurologically abnormal at one year by study personnel if the examiner was able to make a diagnosis of a recognizable syndrome or if the examiner felt that the child definitely was neurologically abnormal but didn't fit into any specific category or even if the child had a condition that might be neurological. Now, although certain findings like a short umbilical cord or low placental weight in that collaborative perinatal project did occur at numerically higher rates in children who met the rather broad and nonspecific criteria for abnormal neurological development, the findings were not subjected to statistical analysis, nor was there any ability to control for any potential confounding factors. Even when looking at subsequent high-risk populations, like children that go on to later be diagnosed with cerebral palsy, there's just no accuracy or very conflicting results in the correlation to pathological findings that can be traced back to their time of birth. Even in these select cohorts, the relationship between specific placental lesions and adverse childhood outcomes is just not consistent, and the literature is super conflicting. Listen to this. Beerstone et al. in a prospective cohort of 350 neonates that were born before 32 weeks of gestation found no relationship between histological chorioamnionitis, that was present by the way about 41% of those placentas, and neurodevelopmental outcomes during early childhood. But unlike that cohort study, another separate meta-analysis of eight studies correlating histological chorioamnionitis with cerebral palsy found a pooled odds ratio of 1.83. In other words, saying that it might actually correlate to it. But you see, here's the issue here with things like histological choreo is that when we see a placenta that has a diagnosis of histological chorioamnionitis, true inflammation of the chorion and the amnion, we somehow assume automatically that that is from a bacterial source. But the truth is that there's other reasons outside of true infection that can lead to those findings. There's potential allergens that can do that. There's a maternal immune stress response in labor that can do that. So histological chorioamnionitis, while a true diagnosable condition may not have real clinical implications because not all of those present with fever, not all of those are clinically evident, and not all of those are from an infectious source. Plus, and here's what really gets me, if you get a placenta that returns back with histological chorioamnionitis, well, what are you going to do now? I mean, the child's delivered. I mean, the pathologist has a placenta. It's not like you can go back and give the mom antibiotics retrospectively. I mean, she's already delivered. And remember that one of the quote, quote, treatments for intramniotic infection or chorioamnionitis is delivery. Well, that's done. So how is that helpful? 
once again, it just doesn't seem to correlate either with immediate management or for any future neurological outcomes based on the study. So as stated in the April 2022 Questioning Clinical Practice Clinical Brief, here's what the authors state, quote, in summary, Evidence from unselected cohorts does not support liberal pathologic examination of the placenta to prognosticate adverse childhood and neurological outcomes. Although in some selected cohorts, there is an association between specific placental lesions and long-term childhood outcomes, these associations are modest because adverse outcomes, even in high-risk cohorts, tend to occur infrequently. And more children without a given lesion will generally have adverse outcomes than those with the lesion that you find. They go on to say that, furthermore, the description of a statistical association between pathological findings and a subsequent abnormal outcome remains two large steps away from actual importance. First, the association must be shown to reflect causation, and second, clinical outcomes must be shown to be improved by detection of the specific pathological abnormality. And right now, virtually all placental pathological findings fail one or both of those tests. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, this seems kind of negative, right? I mean, my goodness, is there any condition or situation when checking for a placental abnormality may be useful? Well, in general, probably not. According to the authors of the April 2022 Questioning Clinical Practice Brief, they go on to say, in general, subsequent pregnancy management decisions after an adverse outcome are predicted not on specific placental lesions, but of course on the clinical history itself. I mean, how many times have you had a patient come in for new prenatal care and she gives you a terrible obstetrical history? Do you stop and go, wait a minute, I need to see that placenta? Mm, Probably not. Oh, come on, you know you don't do that. You focus more on the clinical situation, not on the placental findings. At the present time, none of the placental findings have led to generally accepted changes in clinical management of either the affected child at time of that delivery or of any subsequent pregnancy, nor has any specific placental finding been shown to be of clinical benefit to either of those conditions. Now, again, as we mentioned earlier, I do have to make this one caveat because I don't want to make it seem like it's just never helpful because the exception definitely is a tragic case of stillbirth. In contrast to the general examination of the placenta, it's been reported that placental pathological assessment is actually the most useful test for determining the etiology of stillbirth. Pathological assessment of the placenta has been found to be helpful in about 64% of cases as compared with only 12% for karyotype or microarray analysis and 0.4% for parvo testing. 
but even still, although important for providing patients and healthcare professionals with a possible explanation for that fetal death, the specific placental findings will only rarely have implications for subsequent clinical care. Now, what about a multifetal gestation? I mean, obviously that's helpful, right? I mean, the pathologist can tell us if it's diamniotic or dichorionic or whatever. I mean, there's value there, right? Yeah, probably not. Although determination of amnion or chorion status, or both in a twin pregnancy, has traditionally been seen as an indication for a placental pathological exam, in truth, such determination generally has been made long before delivery because of the use of ultrasound. Identification of transplacental anastomoses may be an item of interest in a monozygotic twin, but this type of detail is rarely reported in standard pathological examinations. And as we end this session, I've got to answer the critics who go, man, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to send that placenta because it's obviously going to help me defend in a medical legal situation. No, it's probably not. Actually, in one analysis of over 200 obstetric malpractice claims, only two cases, so that's less than 1%, were claimed to have been successfully defended by evidence gained through placental examination. And of course, when you send off a placenta, there's always going to be one expert that will find something clinically necessary to establish their case, while an equal number of pathologists will say it's absolutely not related to the issue. So it becomes a plaintiff versus defense issue and actually not very helpful overall. So here's the final clinical pearl and the bottom line. With the exception of stillbirth and possibly the unexplained severe neonatal depression situation, there's probably little evidence-based reasons to send the placenta. Outside of those two conditions, stillbirth and unexpected severe neonatal depression, there's probably no benefit in spending that money for a placental examination. So the authors of the April 2022 clinical brief state, quote, We hope that this commentary spurs ACOG and the College of American Pathologists to revisit, update, and ground in evidence true guidelines for pathological evaluation of the placenta, end quote. That brings us to a wrap. Man, it's hard to stop doing something that you've done out of tradition, isn't it? I mean, I'm going to have this discussion with our residents and our other staff, of course, because we like sending the placenta, just what we do. But if you actually ask why you do it, nobody can answer. But that's why medicine is exciting, isn't it? I mean, we get to live and practice in a discipline that is always learning, always evolving, and always developing. Not like that. As always, we're thankful for you. and We're glad that you're part of our podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.